Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. On today's show, part two of our conversation with Ken Queter. There's no poverty for Ken Queter. I mean, like, you can always get a sandwich. I mean, like, like, like in other words, the, the thing is, is like, if I went in there thinking I'm going to make a million dollars and it's going to be a business plan, that's horrible. How could I even be inspired to write a song? I'm like, but I thought maybe money comes out of it. That's great. But along the line, guess what did come out of it? Lots of girls, lots of, no, you know, like seriously, you know, I remember snorting coke with food stamps, like, you know, like, and, 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 and I remember being in competition with girls in a room years ago when I had no money at all, and guys used to, they used to pull out the $100 bill, like right out of a disco movie, and I'm like going, hold on, I got something brand new issued this month, food stamps are weird, and they come out and perfect. <laughs> One dollar food stamp. We'd all be storing coke to the one dollar cleaner stand, and I went home with the girl. Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. We can now be found, along with past episodes, at iTunes and Stitcher, as well as SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash fun to know, always with the numeral two. You can find photos and more about our guests at the Fun to Know podcast pages on Facebook and at Twitter at Fun to Know Podcast. It would be a dream if you'd take a minute to leave a review of the show on iTunes or any of the platforms, or just send me a note with your thoughts through Facebook. Thanks again for tuning in. We're back this week with the second and final part of our conversation with musician Ken Queter, with the first part of our conversation quickly becoming our most listened to episode. Ken's episode has been so well-received, we're already talking about having him return and bring his guitar for a kitchen concert episode, so check back. I got a message from one listener who didn't like the description of Ken as a local legend, a term I'm guessing they found diminishing in some way. I certainly didn't mean it as such. While Ken's fame has mostly been contained to the Philly tri-state area, to me it isn't because he isn't a world-class talent. Success in the commercial music realm depends on a lot of variables that have nothing to do with musical quality or talent. And the oblong corners that often hold a musician back are exactly the same things that make them great and unique. Ken's local success for me underlines the fact that when he's in front of an audience, he never fails to move them. And listening to the songs from Ken's Queterology release that fill these interviews has reminded me what an expressive and gripping catalog of songs Ken has written over the years. As I was piecing together this show, Ken's story started to fit together almost like a film. In musical biopics, I've often found the artist's rise more interesting than their life on top. But as much as I've enjoyed Ken's rise, the second half, where he talks about his life today, is even more enthralling. Decades of being in front of audiences has given Ken a sixth sense about what they want, and his analysis on young people was born of deep experience. As our conversation heats up, Ken gets more expressive, and you'll start to hear him pound the table uh, where the mic stands are to emphasize his point. I had debated mentioning it to him during the interview, but I didn't want to inhibit him as he was just taking flight. In the opening section, we'll talk about Ken's musical collaborator, Chris Larkin, who played in The Secret Kids and as part of the duo Tom and Jim, a vehicle designed to take Ken and Chris's onstage drinking to precarious heights. The enormously talented Chris Larkin was a member of two bands that did receive major label releases. He was part of the pop singer Joey Wilson's band, The Pets, and he was part of the synth-pop band, The Vells. Chris struggled with health problems and died back in 2007. Another name batted around is that of Marty Watt, the reclusive poet whose fascinating story we hope to get on a future episode of Fun to Know. So we'll pick up things with Ken's memories of Chris Larkin just after the opening song. 
Ken's epic power ballad, Susie Says So, originally from a 77 recording released on 45 by The Secret Kids.
talking about the Chris Larkin. And when did you, when did you first meet Chris? I met Chris. It was either the end of 1976 or the very beginning of 77. I think it was the end of, I think it was the end of 1976. I met him on South Street. I was introduced to him. And what kind uh, of cat was he? Uh, well, he was unbelievable. I mean, like, like, like I was, like I said, I was really lucky to play with great players. I, I there was a, all of a sudden I started playing with great players, and then this guy enters the scene. He was the last add-on for that. That was the uh, second generation Secret Kids, and he just brought the level of the music up, like whatever ragged edges there were. His he had like eye, his ears were like it was like I swear to God, I say this a lot, and, and I always say it was like like for a brief moment I was working with Brian Wilson in his prime, because Chris Chris was like well, no matter how well we did a song, he's, he would like even though I was in charge of the band, Chris would go wait, let's do it over, let's try it one more time. And he go, he goes, no, he's going, no, we got to do it again. Let's let's play it right. Like he was like, like it gives me the chills now because he's going, let's play it right. When Chris said let's play it right, it was like, okay, like something was wrong. So we would get it, and then then, then when when Chris would say, yeah, that that's you know, so I generally I can that's it. He goes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I didn't catch things, or but his ears were like heard things it was unbelievable no, knowing his work with some of those things he co-wrote with you and uh, and his work with the Vels he seemed like he had a real special sense of melody oh know? my god yeah, yeah. I, it's unbelievable and the harmonies and whatever he could hear in his mind was incredible and I think he was around 26 when I met him or 25 we were about the same age and uh, we both lost our fathers at the same age like, like it was a really peculiar kind of parallel and um but when he joined the band, and I'll tell you, I, I was lucky. I had like Danny Sheridan, Alan James. Um, these guys weren't kidding around. But Chris enters, and it's just like, ta-da. I was like, wow, this guy's coming. Like, all of a sudden, every, like, he's going, no, I think, Danny, you should, he says, I think you should play D flat against Alan's G sharp, you know. And they do, I go, shit, that's the fuck. That's right, you know. I was like, and he could predict the future, you know, Melody wise, it was so he we played for a couple of years, you know, for a good two solid years in the Secret Kids, you know. Um, uh, but Tom know, and Jim was a, a different thing. Well, Tom yeah. and Jim was like, well, in the Tom and Jim thing, it came, you know, was happening then too. But but the Tom and Jim thing was like, Chris was he never sang before. He was a shy guy. He was he was more like when he joined the Secret Kids, he was like kind of a shy guy. I kind of corrupted him. He started like getting a little wild, and he started singing. You know, he started singing like uh, uh, like Stones tunes and like. But he started then all of a sudden, you know, he was a really good looking guy. So he was a lot of chicks going on, and then uh, but then we started getting wacky. You know, we were, we were doing like uh, I mean, we were just doing things like the Tom and Jim was wild. But at the same time, it legitimately there was moments of Tom and Jim which were brilliant really inspirational and brilliant but it didn't fit in any category it was like it was like like we were just always improvising and then we'd stumble into something really hilarious or or, or really musically he would take off and it's like there was nobody doing what chris was doing and i'm doing the folk thing and he was doing all this like shit that was like it was like i don't know it's like this well fertility coming out of his fingertips uh it wasn't like it wasn't it was more like some of the cover material we did. and then he also had a fascination with jim morrison i didn't really care for Jim that much at that point but Chris thought he would, he would get really high you know and he was like when the music's over then he would like the 12 minute version and the whole time be drinking and like getting further into the Morrison persona you know like you know table the chairs would be thrown like he was like really getting into like you know uh, but it, so it became sort of a cult thing of like what nobody knew what was going to happen 
and you know mostly it ended up at the end a disaster but there was a good 40 minutes of really interesting shit but nobody you know i don't know how many times we you know how we got home from places you know um you know there was a there was a Chinese doctor who was really who really dug the music, and he was he was following us around, and he would lend us his car, and like we would drive to these places. We had this guy's car, and like and um and then like 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 the next day I was like I don't know how I got him. He goes Ken, I don't know. He goes I was driving. He goes and like he goes I had one hand. Or, he goes I could only drive everything. He was like quadruple. He said like we're driving back from like New Hope or payoli or whatever but all these things happened it was all based on like trying to be inspirational via drug usage and alcohol but there really truly were legitimate great moments but then when you know when we got into like the, 80, the 90s like we were both kind of we couldn't pull off what we had done the last couple of shows were pretty there was a video like some kind of a, there was a video of us at ripley music somewhere of tom he's i'm playing guitar he's playing drums it's like completely insane he's got a full beard. he looks like morrison at the very end you know and, and, and it's like it's really nuts and he's playing drums. like we were playing the drum set of like the headliner which was like the motels or somebody there and we're like using their drum. i don't even know they shouldn't have even let us use it so we were doing i don't even know what we're doing but there is a video of that um um but it was really cool. But but anyway, getting back to Chris Larkin, the person, real sweet guy, brilliant. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, we didn't get the record deal, you know, whatever for whatever reason. But when he entered, like he got involved with some other bands who got record deals. He was, as far as I'm concerned, he was instrumental in uh, you know working, uh, working the magic there with those guys. I mean, I really, he really, he was with Joey Wilson and the Vels. And there's no question in my mind that he was the the, the magic. That sealed those deals. Did you, did you know Joey Wilson at all? Because he, he's another course, Philadelphia guy. Totally not. I, I got, saw, a, got a got a national deal and put out a record. I know. Yeah, yeah. Because Joey and I were competitors. Joey grew up. I guess you know, him and Marty Watt were good friends. Mm -hmm. I think Marty would. Joey Marty looks at look, always looks at Joey as if he was his younger brother. Yeah. So, and um, I met Joey. Who knows? I probably met him. I may have met him at the catacombs. There was a really interesting couple of people there. You know. Um, and but I know I would years later when I was in, in the Secret Kids were doing real well, Joey was on the scene just like Robert Hazard was on the scene, and um, but then but Joey was he was um, he was already a couple steps ahead of me like songwriting at that point, and my when things started to falter for me, Joey pulled in Chris and those guys made it was Chris Larkin, Joey Wilson, and Bobby went on drums, and those guys made a great trio. It was Joey and the Pets. I mean when I used to listen to that music, I was going man, this is this really is inspired. I mean, because Joey was great, Chris was great, and Bobby Wynn was in his prime on key on uh, on drums, and they got a record deal, you know. But I mean, but I have nothing. To, to me, Chris Larkin was like, he was like a, a visitation of Brian Wilson and Phil. For me, and I was like walk, working alongside of Paul McCartney or Brian Wilson or you know, different cats that exist today. You know, like yeah. just, just really, it was just something incredible, otherworldly about where he would uh, make decisions on tones. I mean, like, I listened to this band called MGMT. Those guys, they get, uh, um, there's a song that they did like four years ago, which is a top club hit I, called Kids, K-I-D-S. And I swear to God, man, that melody, that sound, Chris was doing, I mean, it's, 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 it is like, I'm like, like, like a lot of the sounds that Chris used to pull off on this. He had a broken down Korg which he's left in the rain. I saw him once drive, mistakenly drive his station wagon over. And it was like kept together with um, 
duct tape and all this horse shit. And like, he would get the most, he's getting sounds out of that thing that like you hear on like MGMT or you would hear like even on like a Taylor Swift record right now, like 1989 or like, or any of these things. And you hear these keyboard sounds like Chris, cause I know, I, cause I'll say to, I'll say to people, I'll say to the guy, you know, like Artie Tripp, but, I go, that's like, he goes, total lock, even the beat. But I mean, I'm obviously didn't, but, but it's, it's, he was so far ahead, you know, and then, you know, just, you know, that's why, I, you know, I mean, the things he was doing with the Vels, I mean, there really wasn't hardly anybody doing that. And he was doing it on this like broken down Korg. I mean, it's hard to describe what this, this thing, it was almost, and there, this, this like pre-pedal, there weren't, I mean, like now you have a gazillion pedals, you can dial on a sound. Chris was inventing, you know, you could dial in like what I said, like, he invented, like he was inventing these sounds in his head. It was insane. It was like freaked. I felt like retiring when I, you know, when I was in, in, in a zip code near him, you know. Uh, so he, just great. I have nothing but great things. And then, yeah, then, then we tried to do the sort of postmodern theatrical thing with Tom and Jim. You know, yeah. eventually, you know, alienate a lot of people. But we did have a, we had, had a great time. You know. Yeah.
So musically, where uh, there was sort of the you know the, the sort of excitement of being signed and everything, and then there was a a, a post era from that. And uh, where 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 were you at musically? What, what were you thinking? Where, where, where were you playing? And uh, okay, how so did you pick up things after uh, after that moment? After after like the Secret Kids and Men from Quater and Men, yeah, like, yeah. like uh, um, I think around the time. I mean, I was really obsessed with the record deal for a couple of years. Like, it was on and off, though, because I had retired and all that horse shit. I, I really thought I was going to rec- get a record deal from, like, 24 and a half to, like, 30, maybe 37, 39 years old. Like, like in a, I, I thought I deserved one, but I had to continually borrow money to put out these things I would put out, and it all, you know, because I was a big believer in what I did. So, uh, but by the time I was 39, 40, I was like, it wasn't, a, by the time I kind of, it was like, like I didn't play, didn't miss playing basketball. I didn't really miss the fever of trying to secure a record deal. I was like, I'm just going to keep, like, I'm probably not going to get the record deal that I felt I deserved or I wanted to get, but I'm going to keep playing and I'm going to keep putting things out as long as I can put things out. So I wasn't, the, the one time I was really hurt, like I was really really disappointed was I was really shattered when I didn't get I think around the early eight like before I went to England I went to England in, in 84 when I knew like everything was closing in it was like 83 I did it like I was not getting much work I was still I was working for the government uh, that's when I it, it, it just wasn't working out for me you know like 83 was a bit of a tough time so 84 I, I worked for the government I saved all this money went to England for to make it bigger it didn't work out but it was great but but I, I think when I was really like 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 really emotionally hurt. It was around 83, 80, when I was like, man, I don't think it's ever gonna happen here. I have to go to England. And then it didn't happen in England. Then I came back here going, you know what? I'll just be a carpenter. I'm gonna do something else. But I ended up, a couple things happened, but um, I got injured on the job as a carpenter. And then I went back to playing music. And then it slowly, by like 86, I started drawing more, it was really weird. I started doing stuff at Dobbs and all of a sudden I was doing these Monday night residencies there and it was getting really crowded. 
Like, well, I guess I should get back to playing music, you know. But I wasn't really thinking at that point. I wasn't obsessed with record deals. I was obsessed with borrowing money to do things. I mean, because I had done. I, I mean, I borrowed money to do Kitchen Folk. I borrowed money to do Manu Bowl. Borrowed money to do Panamera. All these things were going on at the same time. Thinking like, I'm not going to wait till someone comes out of work to do it for me. I'm going to do it, even though I'm not. You and I met in '85, I think, right? '85-ish. Um, and almost thirty years now. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> and so but I was just I think the thing is is like at that point I was like going I gotta get this shit out it was, it's part of my life I, you know I, I'm proud of it and I'm not happy the fact that I didn't get picked up but I wasn't bemoaning it it was like, like, like oh they didn't get my thing like I'm going like look fuck I, like I'm gonna be I'm gonna you know at that point I start as years went on I start to morph into like a performer who's doing his best not to alienate the club owners, like keep my mouth shut. But I mean, musically, I mean, uh, outside of the whole commercial realm, I mean, musically, you, you only got more astute and, and more more confident as a songwriter, it seemed. Like the, the, those records are, are, are still hold up. As, oh yeah, they're as great. As they're profound great. records. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're great. I'm not, like I'm saying like, I'm just saying like maybe, the thing is I had to leave you know, like those things behind, you know, that, that's what I'm doing. Uh, and I agree, I mean like, Songs like Candy Store, you know, like a really, that was a hard song, right? Like, I still had it, whatever. But the thing is, I had to keep putting this stuff out. But then as time goes by and you get older, less, it's, and, you, and you're working like I do, I don't make, I don't make that much money. The people that were willing to lend me money or give me the money that, that were once my colleagues at that time, where they were bookies or strippers or the, the, the Chinese doctor, you know, like, they kind of disappear. I mean, they, yeah. they get in their own lives. And then, and there's only, it's like, I mean, I always paid them back in terms of I played the, their daughter's wedding. I'm a stand-up guy. You know, if you lend me this, I'll do that. And so I did all that. But then after a while, it's, just, it's, just, it's so, it's all good. I have nothing to complain about. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. But I'm just saying that the thing of like, when did the record deal thing like leave my brain? That was like, when I was like yeah. 39-ish. Not saying I would turn it down, but I'm saying like, and then all of a sudden the industry when I get in my late 40s is like really starts to convert into, you know, what's going on now. Which is interesting. What is what is going on now? I don't know, but I, um, <laughs> it seems like no, no, nobody under thirty or under, certainly under twenty-five buys everything's d illegally downloaded. Yeah. So, uh, so that's not good for the artist. Then you got like uh, what are those streaming um, Pandora and all that? They pay like tiny, 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 tiny. You know, uh, but I'm always I'm always proud of that. I go I go I'm I'm in this thing for the long. I'm into it. I want to put a T-shirt. Poverty is in, wealth is out. You know, because like it doesn't bother me because I'm not gonna like the thing is I know I never really went into it to make it a million bucks. My thing was like, I, I figured that was gonna come along eventually. But the thing is like, if you're not gonna stick it out, you know, and and star for a while. I mean, somewhere along the line in college, I read a I probably read a paragraph about the starving artist and what happens and how that one sentence or those six sentences started me off. Like they they're like the foundation of Ken Quitter. What, like, what did they say? He was just saying, like, if you if you really believe like in art and the nobility of, of life and art and music, be prepared to starve, but be you know be prepared to be proud of what you're doing. Like I don't know what the sentences were, but I remember reading that shit. And it's like, and I'm like going, that is my gospel. It was like five sentences, basically just saying like this guy died broke, you know, Van Gogh, like, like but look at they left behind, like, like, but this guy did it, he made money, this could happen, like, all, like, but be prepared to go through a pretty long, rough patch. So now the Pandora, and all the, whatever these are, they, I forget, the Spotify, like, when that shit happens, it's like, it doesn't bother, I mean, I know it's not right, but like, like, well, like, if you really love music, 
I mean, if you really want to make money, go into another business if that's your end game. You know, that was one of my differences with a couple musicians I played with. They they're always thinking about the money all the time, like you know this and that. Yeah, I own this and that, and you know, and I'm like, it's like the child in me lived a long time in like with the poverty thing, you know, and. It's not, to me, it's not even poverty. I'm like, there's no poverty for Ken Queter. I mean, like, I can always get a, like, I can always get a sandwich. I mean, like, like, like in other words, the, the thing is, is like, if I went in there thinking I'm going to make a million dollars and like, it's going to be a business plan, that's horrible. How could I even be inspired to write a song? I mean, like, the right Susie says, though, it wasn't to write a big hit. It was to write a great song or a candy store or free, like, Heroin wasn't even written. It was just written as, written as a joke, you know. But, but I knew it was a funny joke. It wasn't in the making. But I thought maybe money comes out of it. That's great. But along the line, guess what did come out of it? Lots of girls. Lots of no, you know, like seriously, you know. I remember snorting coke with food stamps, like you know, like and 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 I remember being in competition with girls in a room years ago when I had no money at all. I was on welfare or something, and guys used to. You're kind of young for this, but they were. They used to pull out the hundred dollar bill like right out of a disco movie, and it, the hundred dollar bill was a signal totem pole to the girl. Hey, this guy's got money, can make my life a little easier. And I'm like, going, hold on, I got something really sterile, brand new issued this month. Food stamps for quitter, and they come out and perforate one dollar food stamp. We'd all be snorting coke through the one dollar quitter stamp, and I went home with the girl. You know, so that was my food stamp revenge. You know, but I mean, but but I'm just saying, like, so I never really. There's never been a moment of me bemoaning, you know. Very rare do I have like this, like, jealous, like the Jones, the, the greener pastures. Yeah, you know? jealousy. I, no, I don't. It, 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 envy. Yeah, like, like, the only envy I have, the jealousy, is somebody writes a great song. But it's a good, it's a respectful envy. It's like, how did you, like, when Joey Wilson came along, I was like, oh, he's good, man. I got to, you know, like, like, oh, it hurts. I like, Marty Watt, or like, or like, People write great, you know, like I'm going, ooh, you know, but it's 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 a backhand. It's like, I don't hate them. I'm like, ooh, how do you do that, you know? Like, that's, that's my job. But, but it's interesting that, that uh, the, the audience for Ken Queter in, in uh, the sort of tri-state area has never disappeared. There's always There's, there are people somebody out, who wants to see Ken Queter play. Yeah, there are, there are people out there, yeah. and um, uh, I mean, you've, how many gigs do you play a year anymore? Last year, I did uh, almost did 300. Almost, I can't do that again. I can't do it again. Like I, I promise. That, that's superhuman. I mean, it's, that's it's Herculean well, task to it's, play three hundred gigs. Because the gig itself is not so difficult. It's the trick is work to the second power. I have to, even when I'm busy, I can't fall under the illusion that I'm always going to be busy because I'm always prepared to be fired, even if I don't do anything inappropriate, which I try not to anymore, because wherever <laughs> I play at. They're going to do away with the acoustic guy. They're going to go, yeah, we'll put a popcorn machine over. I've been replaced by ATM machines. And not too long ago, I got replaced. I was doing this outdoor joint. They put a fire pit where I used to stand. Like, more people want to go to the fucking fire pit, right? But I'm like, kind of the kind of like, I kind of go with like, I'm not happy about it. But while I was doing the gig where the fire pit's at, or I was doing the gig where the ATM machine is at, or I'm doing the gig where they put the guitar hero in, or I'm doing the gig where they replace me with pajama brunch, right? Like, these things have all happened, right? Queener's no longer in pajama brunch Sunday afternoon, right? So, uh, I like I get my I get like even even pajama bunch gets it's come up and you know, uh, so I, I while all these things are happening I'm going and I'm doing the sandwich trick you know the sandwich trick no oh, the sandwich trick is something I learned about six years ago because I used to because I'm always prepared to be fired so if I have twenty accounts this year, she's like 
a little more, but if I have 20 little rooms I'm going to play this year, by the end of this year, 10 will be gone. They're either closed, put a DJ in, karaoke, ATM machine, pajama brunch. You know, it's going to go away. So rather than get angry, I came up and I, when I you know, while I'm working, I'm doing my 200, 300, whatever. If I did 200 shows here, I would be like, I would be like relaxed. So this year, I'm trying to just do like. 200 or 175 because I can't I almost died in Lambert I went away to try out right you know that story so that's a whole nother so um, I had to come back to Philly to try out so the um, so while I'm working busy, busily yeah. at least twice a month I have to get up like a today's the day to go down to the bearded goats joint or some fucking place like just open somewhere and I was driving around, I thought I saw an acoustic player in there and there's one thing for fucking certain in life you got to eat, right? Got to drink water and eat, drink yeah, beer. Yeah. So why have a sandwich somewhere that doesn't have live music? I go into a place that has live acoustic music, and I have a sandwich with an empty guitar case. You know why? Because, you know, it's, I don't want to put any more effort in this. I used to go and drop off CDs and uh, press kits. Yeah. I remember the last time I did that was down at Tony Luke's on Oregon Avenue here. Mm -hmm. And as I left, they had, a, they had a bar there. I don't know if it's still there. As I left, I saw the guy take the CD and the thick press kit. I was very lucky. I've been very lucky with the press. Right in the trash. I was like, you know, no, no big deal. Like, like, like beyond, like I got Teflon, like fucking skin. So, uh, so like on, I go, this is probably, it's good I saw that because that's probably why I wasn't getting any of the gigs for the last couple of years. Nobody has any time anymore uh, to listen to uh, one song or two songs and they certainly are not reading, right? So I was going, what can I do? I'd gone down and I got a sandwich, but they threw that away, right? And I go, ah, fuck it, you know? And before you know it, they, I went back again to get a sandwich, but they stopped the live music, you know? So then I started going into places. And I was like, I would see somebody, I'd say, I hear somebody's playing over there, some of that. I'd go in, I have a sandwich with the guitar case, right? Uh, empty. And then I have a sandwich. I wouldn't even bring up the fact I was playing music. Let them do it. You go, oh, you're playing, oh yeah, I do, you know, having a sandwich, you know. And I talk a few things, I just got, you know, then, 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 then what you gotta do, you gotta sort of, you have to exaggerate, because they'll never remember you if you say you just play in Philly, you know. Mm -hmm. I, got, just got, I just got back from fucking Moscow, and uh, I had to go through Prague, all this. I said, it was a real bitch in Russia, man. Like, I had to go through all these legal things. So I tell this whole story, which is completely made up. But like, like, like they had me, and like, like I'm on the, the list. Like they, interrogate, like, they thought I was some kind of like guy, you know? And like, I, I go, I'm just a musician. And, you know, I got records out and all this, you know? So now that, you know, I just tell them, I go, it's insane. So then I leave a nice tip. Then I leave. And a week later, I go back the same exact day, the same bartender, right? And I did a thing, and I bring in the empty guitar case, you know. And then he goes, how's it going? I go, yeah, I just did a bunch of gigs. And I'll just say, I, you know, I was up in New York. I did Scranton. I did this. I said, I'm fucking exhausted, man. I was like, fucking, fucking crazy, man. But the, the, these college kids are out of control and like this and shit like that. So then so then I go on the third, sometimes I, the third time, the guy goes, and I start, I go, yeah, you have music here, right? I said, yeah. He goes, maybe you want to play. And I get the gig. It's called the sandwich trick. And it works. I just got it. I did the sandwich trick. I just picked up two gigs. Uh, I I can't mention the names of the places, but uh, in the last week, two gigs came out of the sandwiches, which were eaten a couple months ago. Because the gigs don't come that week, you gotta like start thinking. Like, yeah, I'm gonna be like in France for a while. I'll be back in about a month. Because you know, because if you do that, then they go. This guy like plays the world, man. And I know I can do the gig. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's the sandwich trick. That's sandwich trick 101.
Yeah. And I'm because a lot of guys I know, how do you work so much? You know, it's not about the the obvious, like the record sounds great. There's a lot of great C CDs out there or whatever press kits. You gotta you gotta do sort of the work. It's almost like a taxi driver telling you a story about something you never forget. But I'm like the, the customer, like you know, you, you know, like the thing about homeland security and you know, like the, getting questioned. But that, but I actually am. <laughs> but but the thing, but but with the gig, like the music thing, like you know, you see me come in and like they get, it's the guy, you know. But you can't fuck up, though, you know. Can see my reflection in every choice that I made. I have lost my direction and made many mistakes. I have seen that mighty river, most recent by the sun, and it's always coming closer. No reason for me to run. It has carried. Many wars it has won And it stretches towards the heavens Through the stars into the sun The river flows Forever everywhere And so it goes from here to over there once or twice in another life I have watched it from a distance from mountain up on high and it's always coming closer no matter how high I climb I have lived the way that I Splashed my face with magic and opened up my eyes. Did somebody say, Hey man, that ain't fair? And I just laughed and said, I've been there once or twice in another life.
you've been you've been on stage for so many years now. I mean, you must have a mental telepathy about an audience. I mean, pretty much. I can. I, I can. I. I um, I don't know if I can't really say it, but I, I can actually tell what somebody wants to hear. You know, I can I can tell uh, I, I can tell if if an audience is comprised of folks under thirty two, and I'm struggling. Well, first of all, I do all these tricks because I learned like I for, cause I have a million songs, right? But uh, I like like if nobody's listening, if I'm doing like a real like sort of swinging bar, you know, nobody's listening. I, I I start doing Miley Cyrus, like and I'm like, and, you know, like, like I'll do like you know the acoustic version of, of one of her songs. I'll go into like Taylor Swift, you know, this stuff. What, song, then, what songs do you know from these artists? Oh, I know. Um, see, hold on. Uh, I've got my sights set on you. I'm ready to lean. Don't look for me for cues. I don't know if I, I have know them their, my, but, but anyway, their it's catalog like, well. The last time I freaked out, I just kept looking down. My voice just started stopping. Ask me what I'm talking about. Felt like I couldn't breathe. My my person Leslie says she's just being mildly like like I put the name in her. So uh, the next time we freak out, so uh, my heart belongs to you or something. But but I can't remember. Uh, when see you again it's called see you again, see you see again. again. Okay. and then I do like uh, You Belong With Me by um, Taylor Swift Lady Gaga and I do Avril Lavigne I do all these things which are really Spice Girls all that but I do these to get their attention you know yeah. um, but if I'm really serious about it like, like that, that's, a, that's a joke once I get their attention then I see a lot of people under 30 over there writing the, like new country music like I get I, I have that you know, but I've twisted up, of course, like sick, like missing lyrics and shit. Let them sing. What it. new country artists do you uh, do? do work you know, with? shit like uh, I can do like uh, uh, I love this bar. I can do the big one though is uh, Chicken Fry. You know, I like Chicken Fry. It's enormous. Do you know the song? Don't know that it at all. Oh, big, big, big. Uh, that's I, I'll do like one shot. Of course, the the number one song on the planet Earth is Wagon Wheel. You know, and that that's you know. What's Wagon Wheel? Please. You don't know Wagon Wheel? I don't know Wagon Wheel. <laughs> You don't know. Let me move. Wagon wheel is is a conversation in itself because I was like, well, Dylan wrote the first couple of lyrics of Wagon Wheel. Then somebody called thirty five years later, Old Crow Medicine Show. Okay. Finished, finished the lyrics, the song, right? yeah. and then they put it out. They're like sort of alternative. What do they call all country or something, right? Sure. Violins and banjo and shit, and. The fucker became unbelievably big. The Mufford and Sons covered it. And then the dude from the Hooters, not the Hooters, the Hooting the Blowfish. Uh, Darius Rucker or something? Yeah, Darius Rucker, that was the vocalist. Yeah. Okay, he got a number one hit on the country charts with it. And Dylan has a piece of this song? Dylan wrote, well, Dylan, st I read the thing. Dylan stole from some unknown guy in the 20s. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so Wagon Wheel is like, Everybody, like, like I caught on to it a long time ago. I was like, cause I, I was, I'm always playing with people way younger than me. I'm like, what are you fucking playing? You know, I'm doing wagon. I go, let me hear this fucking like wagon. All of a sudden, like we're playing together, and I was like, everybody under 25 rushing to the stage. Like, what the fuck is this wagon? Wheel? <laughs> you know? So, so we're doing it like a couple weeks later. I met this guy, and he's doing wagon. What's the song about? Heading down yonder in the land of the pines, you know, like coming down North Carolina, you know, uh, they go smoking a joint with a truck driver and all this shit. You know, I mean, I have it, I have it up here. I do like, I, I got sure. you know, uh, going down to Roanoke, Virginia, and then my baby plays the banjo now. Then, then, then rock me, baby, like a wagon wheel, rock me, mama, all night long. 
the the wind and the air and all this shit. <laughs> so, so of course I'm like, you know, I want to. I'm watching people do the wagon wheel, right? So I, this, you know, so I, I thought, let me give this wagon wheel a try, just so I can fuck with it a little bit. And of course, never really learned the official version, you know. But I stick in like, so, so I start doing wagon wheel like six and a half years ago when I when I want to get it, the audience's attention. And everybody goes, if somebody if they're under thirty, man, thirty two, wagon wheel, man, it's like, it's people run to the stage. You could be doing like. Um, the like 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 I could tell you what the like the big like because I play so much I know what all the requests are what the what what songs work what don't work you know like for years and even today like if you were to do um, Baba O'Reilly I can't really do it but like a band does Baba O'Reilly yeah. people generally go berserk if you do Don't Stop Believing by what's the name um, Journey Journey it's it's like critical mass. That, that song has really made a transition over the years, hasn't it? That used to be considered like the height of cheesy bad rock. Oh yeah, but now it's like and now it's, it's anthem. It, but for because people. it came through like video game, like it's like the what do you call it, the tool of exposure came in through the Sopranos. So I was, I mean, you know, not just America. You're in Japan. They're screaming that song. But the thing is, is that like, you know, like, but right, like. Nip and tuck right up there, wagon wheel, <laughs> wagon wheel versus the journey song. Like, uh, what's that song? Um, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing versus wagon wheel. And I think, I think wagon wheel is right there. I don't know if it's. I think wagon wheel is going to be running out of steam pretty soon. It's been high up there for a while. But uh, yeah, don't stop believing is, is right up there. I've been for a while. Africa by Toto was big. I can't play, but I watch. I'm always watching what goes over with people. I was going to ask you, you still play a lot with uh, in front of young audiences. What do you think of, of young people today? It depends on where, where you're playing. Uh, it's, I'll tell you one thing that's definitely seems to be true to me, and I, and I kind of I kind of have the periscope on it because I come from a background of like, you know, uh, when music was a central part of not only social, but cultural and philosophical uh, a zip code. And like a, and particularly like in America, maybe Europe and things like that. Maybe, I don't know, but coming out of that, where it was the end-all, be-all thing to give meaning to me and like-minded folks and quite a few people who weren't totally concerned about music, but uh, and, and the fact that there were less and less channels to get music, uh, mm-hmm. um, it made it even more special. Uh, so... It seemed at the center of culture in a way that I'm, I'm not sure it, it, it still was. is. That's on, that's my, that's what I'm leading up to. Because, like, you know, when I think back on the days of, you know, like, and I'm sure it's not, I'm not just speaking for myself, for anybody who, whether they're in San Francisco or whatever, there was a good 30 years of, like, you know, whether it was the beat movement or whatever, it's like the word is God and the music is, like, it's going to lead us to a noble goal, you know, or something good or, or, or solve loneliness or, you know, pretty much pretty good stuff, whatever. But, but it was rare. It was, even though music was everywhere, it still was way more rare than it is now. And, um... And and I'm sure I know it's a fact right now. There's this great. It's like Tom Waits once said. He goes, "You'll find out about this great song or writer or some other great writer." And I go, and Tom Waits once said, "He goes, it's like potatoes coming out of the ground. It's always going to. There's always going to be great artists and great players, and um, and that exists in the music field, you know. And the only difference is is, is like the the tools that they have." To get disseminated to the general population, they're there in a way. They're like the computer, of course, gets it out, but it, it's not funneled down to everybody at the same time or something. Which, which you know, it does kind of like the, the gatekeepers. Like, like, like to me, I know, like, if you watch, 
you know, uh, like I've been lucky enough to be able to play in all kinds of different situations. And a number of years, about 10 or 11 years ago, I was invited to be part of this sort of moving a company of, of a young hip hop uh, artist, you know, uh, and, and they had some of it was already recorded. I mean, they had like recorded tracks, and some had guitar players. I happened to be, uh, I happened to be acoustic guitar player, and I I I would play certain chords to a couple folks that were rapping on top of it. And where was this at? Was it Dobbs? Was it Dobbs? Know. Like twelve years ago? It was a mm-hmm. one? They, they were traveling all over the place. They did. They had this one night there. Maybe it had a couple times one month. I was part of it one night, and I'll tell you, man. Like there was, like the thing is, is like the rap thing. You know, it's like the the gatekeepers narrow it down to like three subject matter. Whereas if you're if you're with the cats who are starting off, they have really similar uh, sensibilities and concerns about like stuff like the '60s. I mean, like it's wide open. It's not all about commercialism. It's about other, you know, like, like I really enjoyed playing with those folks. It was like was really was like it was way more different subject matter than like than than the stuff that the gatekeepers you know pushed down the pipe no. uh, and I, I was one of the more pleasant I, I you know I did it once there and then I did it at somebody's house and it was different guys but it was the same vibe it was like people really it was a really warm feeling you know and when you get back to like then there's a, a but but they never they're not getting any exposure so it, but they're getting back to your your question is i think there's always going to be great music or whatever uh but i think that the, the people at large a lot of the folks that that are younger or whatever they can only only they only have the time to live everybody's like overworking like the bean counters are in charge so like so if you get out of college <coughs> you're working you're going to work a minimum 40 hours like probably 60. You're, you're kind of letting someone else dictate your taste from from a from a pipeline to get narrower and narrower and a lot of the, a lot of the great stuff doesn't get in that pipeline there's still great stuff sneaking in somewhere but but at the same time there's there's been this explosion of distractions it's like hl Mencken said life is basically uh two things horror or boredom and uh the only way you can get through it is to find uh, a distraction to get you through, like back in those days, there was only a couple of distractions, you know. Now there's a gazillion video games, um, you know, this, that, you know, people are like modifying, like doing things on the computer, like, and so th- there's just been less and less, like what once was never totally rare, but slightly rare, but imagine before our time, go back a hundred years, live music was really rare. Um, it's gotten less and less rare, so it's lost less and less, it's gotten, the value has decreased uh, quite a bit. So, when I talk, when I play out, and I play to people in Maniunk, or if I play on camp, like on campus or wherever I play, uh, there, there's always a small, like, trace element of people really on. Like they'll talk about Leonard Cohen, or they'll talk about, you know, some pretty intelligent stuff. Um, for whatever reason, they're still their light bulbs on. You know, they're they're on. Um, but the general crowd is watching TV the music is the window dressing it's not like the main course that it once was it's sort of like it, it's it's something it's it's like maybe the peas or something it's not the steak or the main thing for 90 percent of the people although they like music but it's not like life and death to me which was where you would have 
bitter fights with people over music. There's no bitter people. There's no bitter fight over like you know, like, like I'm joking about Wagon Wheel versus Journey. You know, like you wouldn't probably get a big like. But when I was you know growing up in South Street, whenever you know there were people took sides, and I'm sure they still do. You know, but it's not as it once was. You know, so like when I face them, like to me when I play, if I'm playing Maniac, say I'm playing at Kildare's or Bourbon Blue or any of these places that people are out. Live music, a lot of it, even I have to do, we're, like, we're kind of marginalized to the, the sidelines where we're playing sort of a on and off uh, cat and mouse sound audio track of the mating ritual and the sports ritual. The mating ritual and the sports ritual are the uh, main component of the dinner there. And then off to the side, there's this something going on. Not sure, but whenever there's a lull in the conversation, it fits in and it gets rid of the awkwardness of not being able to complete a sentence kind of shit. But, 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 the, but, but as people get drunker and drunker, they'll start requesting songs, you know. But it's not, there, there's still people out there. It's not as large of a percentage that take it real seriously. And I think a lot of that has to do with like, a lot of it I think has to do with the way there's so much like commodification of, of, every, of your time and of everything that it's taken the beauty out of the, you need downtime to appreciate beauty. You can't be appreciating beauty where like you're knocking spikes or like you're crunching numbers for Applebee's or something. And you know, and it's like an Applebee world or something. It's like, it's, it's like, um, it's just get as much done as possibly, but like the thing, the, the one thing I fucking really hate is is the assault on people who smoke cigarettes. It, it's like okay, we know it's not a good habit, drinking's not a good habit, but you kind of go in knowing that. But the thing that gets me about this cigarette is like when I see pictures of Mark Twain or some of the great writers over time, inevitably you either have a pipe or a cigarette. And when I see that picture, you know what that communicates to me? Somebody's contemplating life. Like they have a moment where they're contemplating what to do. Or something. There's there's a moment of peace of mind that's like been like this like they, like like you need that peace of mind to appreciate music or art. Like, and I'm not saying it's because of the cigarette, but that cigarette was that pause. It was the moment back in the old days when you could go into a phone booth, right? And then when you closed the door, there was you hitting the pause button to think or make a phone call without being interrupted. So I mean, I think there's just so much shit coming down these pipelines, like you know, just the distractions that that music is one of the casualties in terms of, it just isn't like the focal thing anymore. And I just think a lot of the kids are sent to school to to make as much money as possible uh, because their parents are concerned that they, they're, they're, not, they're not sending them so that they don't have to, God forbid, end up in poverty or whatever. But 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 there's never, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of uh, emphasis on like 10% of your life, just don't do nothing. Or don't, 20%, just, just stare. Like sometimes, you know, like, like, like cats purr when they're happy. Humans need that purring moment. Like, it's it, that's that's my opinion. It's like, but I mean, there are they do. I mean, the general population. I mean, they do like the music and whatever. And, and but it's not like a life and death thing. I don't know what your, what's your opinion. Uh, well, it, I, I I think that the people have really lost that reflective moment you reflective, were talking about. That yeah. I I kind of felt like it as I don't carry a phone around, which is you know makes me a you know a, a, a suspicious person at this point in time um but i really felt like as a writer i really needed that time to think i, I would you know sit at the keyboard and get ready to, to write things and i realized i hadn't reflected on things i hadn't really come up with the idea to write it and i realized that was really this quiet uh undistracted moment that i needed to sort of schedule and make sure it was part of my life but if you really have a phone with you that's uh, all your friends are in it 
<laughs> you know, uh, yeah. like it's real easy to fill up every empty moment of your life with something that's going to be exciting and interesting to you and is really going to make the, uh, you know, the, the things in your head uh, pop. Um, but without that reflective moment, I feel, feel that the, the people, there's a, a real loss that people are really feeling. And then uh, I'm not well, they're sure. Almost, they... They're almost terrified to be left alone with their thoughts. It's, yeah. And it, I don't know if that's, an in, if that's an intentional indoctrination. I've heard people say that, but like, but. Um, well, the but, stresses of modern life can come to your mind real quick in a, in a quiet moment. That's probably you know? true, too. And, and, and uh, there are so many stresses. I feel that people are uh, doing everything they can to fill up their lives and not have that. that but the thing is, you have moment. to, like, Fogarty, Jim Fogarty was talking about, like, modern life and the stresses. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, is, it, is the stress more now? I mean, or was it always there? I mean, like, there's always stress to be alive. You need stress to do things, you know. But maybe there's more. But at the same time, I think it's just... I don't know what it is. I just know that the, 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 like you see like John Lee Hooker or somebody or yeah. with the, the cigarette, or, you know, and they, 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 they've even like photoshopped the cigarettes out of the pictures. Yeah. Like, or you see a mechanic, man, at their day of hard work having a beer and a cigarette. It's like, you'll see him staring. Like, it it's like my visual volume. You know? They're removing it from it. But the thing music used to provide, I mean, like it was reflective, but it still does. But I don't, I don't know if it's the cachet is going down. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There's no real movement. There's like nobody protesting on. There's like back in the old days, my my day, like it brought us together over certain uh, yeah, yeah. things. But at the same time, it wasn't all about protest. It was about like listening to poetry and stuff. Uh, it is very odd to me that, that uh, I really feel like a, a, a hit record from today pretty much sounds exactly like a hit record from 10 years ago. There hasn't been any sort of production revolutions that like, oh, that's the sound of the day. I feel yeah. like it's it's all sort of uh, evened out into this, you know. Uh, well, Ben, it's the stuff I hear now, like, because I'll be, I'll be in a, I'm in, I'm, when I'm setting the equipment, I'm putting my speakers up and connecting the cables. I get to hear what's playing all the time on the pop stations. And I'm not a music theory guy, but I'm going, wait a minute. They just drew four seconds from a hit from seven. Like, I can actually hear the references from songs before, and they're, like, all inserted together. It's no coincidence, a lot of these songs. And they'll literally be, like, harmony parts. I'm going, I know that's from, like, that's from, um, like, um, I know that that's from, I literally, because I'm around a lot, like, and I'm exposed, like, I go, that's from the Backstreet Boys, and that... <laughs> is from Rihanna, and now that's in a Justin Bieber, because I hear all these, there's no way I cannot hear these songs, but yeah. I'm like going, I know, I'm familiar with like, they just did the harmony from the chorus of that song, and put it into the verse of this song, from a song that was borrowed, and the chord, I can actually hear the chord structures, it's like, cause I'm, and because I talked to Mark Teague, we do these gigs together, he's like Mozart, this guy's, like he has, he can, he can, it's insane. Like, it's like, I, I, I want to retire when I play with him. It's like, but because he's so good. And, but I'll say, isn't that? He goes, yep. And I go, isn't that? He goes, yep. And I go, what's going on here? He goes, he goes, he goes. That's what it is. It's like this, not. I mean, it's like this sort of intentional. It's almost like fam familiarity is really what they're going for. Where, yeah. where pop music used to really be about an exciting new idea or exciting oh, yeah. new sound. You know. Yeah, I mean, even like in the Monkees, like the, whatever those songs were like, no one ever played those that D chord on the seventh fret with that, you know, that weird piano part. Like, like, and now, it, you know, the, whether they're pulling from that far back, but you know, they're pulling from. They're certainly pulling from the Britney era. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff on that Britney Spears period, production-wise, which is drifted wow. into 
Timberlake and all, you know, and those guys. Although these are great artists. These guys like, you know, like Timberlake and shit, you know, like, because like, I, I have to, sometimes I, li- I have to like learn this chord structure or something. And I'm going like, that guy, even though I don't dig like that, most of that shit, that motherfucker, is, is, he has a song he's in A and A sharp. That's the only two chords. <laughs> it's called uh, Sexy Up or... Uh, uh, sexy Bad. I had to learn it once, and I never got it because I just couldn't get it. <laughs> but I listened to think a fucking hundred times, and and I was like, "All right, it's not exactly my song, but I got to give credit where credit's due." I've never, in two notes, that guy made an entire song with like little t- excursions to the side of the melody. That it's like, how, I don't know how he did it, but like, and I tried to learn that fucking thing. I never got it i was like i give up you know i, I mean i just I, I mean the guy's voice is ridiculous but it doesn't translate to guitar real easily whatever he's i know doing and, and the yeah. beats are like they're like funk beats i was like i it may have been i may have played the worst version on the planet earth but <laughs> but i why like like i see these guys and like you know uh but i mean obviously they're they're taking the, the, the advice of like clive davis keep it simple whatever yeah. in terms of lyrics and stuff like that and the thing with you know, I'm, so anyway, I'm, I know it's, it's all pop music now. I mean, it's like that's what's going on. So the younger generation, they don't take shit. They don't. They're not like really like. Um, I guess it's not a life and death thing for most of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess in, you know, for better or for worse, I felt like uh, the music I listened to as a young person really sort of defined who I was. As a, you know, you sort of uh, took the music to, to to say something about your personality or something. And, and I'm not. I'm not sure if it's a, it's the same sort of personality definer for young well, people sure, anymore. But I'm sure that, like, I mean, you know, I, I do believe, you know, because I'm kind of really pretty familiar. I was years ago on Lady Gaga, like, like when she talks about the monsters and like you know, people who feel out of sorts and they don't feel like they feel like they're the, on the outside. I seriously believe that she like she does speak for the so-called unspoken for because you know. Cause we were like, it's more like the newer generation of freaks, but it's not really that freaky as we were. But, but, <laughs> but the thing she does try to represent and speak and articulate their stuff. I do believe that. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and, and I mean, she has her own way, her cartoonish way to getting people's attention. But people forget she was a singer songwriter by her. You know, she was a keyboard player. Yeah. And she was yeah. trying to make it big doing that. Then she got wrapped up with whatever she got wrapped up in but but i like i mean i don't have anything I, I like her i think she's really talented but but she does she's one of the people who do try to do that you know but i don't follow like you know i don't know what it's like to be 19 years old and actually t- taking that stuff seriously. imagine like i got my new Katy perry record come up we're gonna have a listening part remember like like the ramones put a record out in a clash it was like deep business we're going over to someone's says he's got the first copy of the clash record yeah, and everybody's yeah. like sitting there like it's you know like I don't know if the Katie, if the new generation's got that. I mean, unless I mean, unless you're getting into something else. I mean, there's like stuff very obscure that's people do. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I just know that when I go out and play, most of the nights there's people like that are, that uh, aren't necessarily paying attention, you know, early on. But once I have a few drinks them and I fuck with them a little bit, they're paying attention, you know, because I I get in, you know, I mix it up. I mean, I do covers and queeters and all that shit, you know. So. But the, you know, but it's different. But every so often I'll meet that one person that's like really well versed. Oh, you know, that that like surprises me. You know, like yeah. wow, you know. So and it's kind of refreshing. But then it's like one out of a hundred. You know, <laughs> usually. And I don't know how they. You know, I don't know. You know how they 
buy tickets. I don't think they go to the concert. I guess they obviously go to concerts. But, but everybody's at concert talking all the time. It's like nobody listening. I mean, really. <laughs> There's a speed freak on my lawn, speed freak. On my lawn, speed freak. On my lawn, speed freak. On my lawn, all together now. Speed freak. On my lawn, speed freak. On my lawn, speed freak. On my lawn, speed freak. On my. Lawn. I got a crackhead up on my porch. There's a crackhead. Up on my porch, there's a crackhead Up on my porch and he's making himself at home All together now, crackhead Up on the porch, crackhead Up on my porch, crackhead Up on the porch and he's making himself at home You got the welcoming committee down by the wall While the welcoming committee down by the Wawa Welcoming committee down by the Wawa Playing with the BB gun Trouble on the line Andy Griffith, Nicky Knight Andy Griffith, Nicky Knight Andy Griffith, Nicky Knight There's a speed freak on my lawn
I, I saw Dylan recently. He's like, well, they, they were listening. So he, had, he had like security out there watching people. Like, the real, a lot of real tense environment. Watching a concert, you can't like. But um, that was a weird concert. I was backstage. It was yeah. bizarre. Um, but Have you met Dylan before? I met him in 1997. I pulled a trick on him, like the sandwich trick. Except, <laughs> no, because he was on stage. I was at the Man Music Center, and I was backstage. And um, and I knew there was only one way for him to get out, and was like through this door here, exit. So I was actually near the exit. So I watched the whole show, and then like as he was getting ready to leave when it, he did his encores, I stood right in front of the exit. He had to go past me. So I, I put my hand out like like I mean I, you know, I just say man you really mean a lot to me. It's like you know I grew up on your music. And he's like, and like, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like, so it's about 45 seconds of that. And he goes, thank you very much. And they pulled his hand back, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, it was really weird because he was like right in front of me. He was, see, that was 1997. He was 55. So like when you're watching on stage, he goes from looking like 65 to 25 to 40 to 55 to 75. Like he was like a change thing the whole time. So when he came up close and I saw him, like, he didn't look 55. He looked like, like, like. Way like I don't know what it was you know he was you know he looked like he'd seen some rough times man yeah you know but uh, but he was, was that's the only I mean the last time I was back I was backstage I was with the band back yeah. two months ago you know yeah but he doesn't he don't hang out with, he just comes on and off he he has a separate thing that I bust in and out yeah you know and yeah. it's he's really like I don't know how he communicates with that band but he's he's not around you know yeah because even when I at the Man Music Center. I was backstage with the band the whole time. And then they go out on stage and then he comes in on a central, like a separate thing from, he don't see nobody. He comes in and goes, you know, you know, like he's like. I remember hearing, hearing stories years before that like Ricky Nelson would like know that he had to be on stage at like nine o'clock. So the band would come there and do sound check and everything. And then they would get on stage and start doing the vamp. And then at like nine o'clock, exactly. Ricky Nelson would hit the stage, do the whole show and then leave and uh, you know drive off and the band would you know close the show and load out and everything and they said they hadn't like met and rehearsed in years but that was for, that for was, ricky nelson you mean. for ricky nelson yeah yeah yeah, yeah i don't know but dylan's a whole nother animal because it's like ricky nelson was pretty had some great songs but dylan's like psychologically it's like you're talking about who knows what's going on with, with <laughs> the bus and he's got the dogs on the bus i know he's got dogs but uh but he's really like private i mean obviously i mean it's like and then, but then again, he's like a trickster. There's all kinds of different Dylans out there, you know. So nobody really knows. He's in a lifetime trying to get into Bob Dylan's head. But nobody, yeah, nobody. I mean, yeah, but nobody, uh, you know. I mean, do you even know where he lives? He has like a lot of houses, apparently. Yeah, that's what I mean. For for like a celebrity, like we we know so little about him. I have no idea where his you know any sort of permanent res residence for him even is. You know, nobody. You know, he obviously does have one. You know, I think in Malibu, but there's a number. Of places like in um, Santa Monica, and uh, I, I know he's. I don't think he's ever in New York. like when he plays in New York. He doesn't stay in New York. He goes somewhere else overnight or something. Man. Too many people know him. He's just real private, you know. So um, that's what I hear, you know. So and uh, and I ask some of the real Dylan heads, and they can't fill in much more than that. Yeah, you know. Um, you know. Well, speaking of Dylan, the songwriter, I mean. Uh, right, you know, how, how many songs do you think is in your are in your catalog? Songs like all Ken Quitter stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like one, like like one hundred and like sixty something like that. Then there's a whole lot of like half written songs, songs like 
911 means I love you, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, losing my mind in the outfit. There's a lot of songs that just, they just didn't get to the end. But the, so if you put all those in, you're over 200. And what's your relationship with your catalog at this point? Are you still enjoy playing those? Oh, I love, I, I'm a big fan of Ken Quita. I really like him. <laughs> you know, I mean, I really do. I, um, but I, I, on, on occasion, if I'm in a room that isn't going to be receptive to Ken Quita, I will declare uh, war on my own self-expression for the evening. You know, <laughs> people go, can you play? I, I can't because I'm declaring war or I'm busy um, um, de-copywriting my music for the evening. You know, I got a lawyer working on it. And uh, so, but you no, know, I like playing Ken Quita. The thing is, it, it just depends which room it's in and um, what songs are appropriate. Of course, if I'm at the Tin Angel, I can do any of that stuff. Uh, but um, if I'm like, uh, like, where was I? Um, there are certain rooms where if I'm in like, um, I mean, a lot of rooms, like if I'm at the New Deck on Penn Campus, because it's a low, it's kind of a low-key gig, I can do 50% Queter there. And there'll be people that I know will be there, you know. Uh, but if I'm at, you know, another place that's more rowdy, I'll do like 10% of Queter. Yeah. Uh, now, if I'm at like... Um, uh, if I'm in like some of the suburban places I play, I could do 80% of Queter, you know. I, I got to throw a couple covers in because they're like restaurants, but I get to do them, you know. And then recently I just did a party for psychologists and psychiatrists, and um, they were bitching I didn't do enough Queter. I did like 70%, but I was trying to, there were people who didn't know me, so I threw in, I did throw a wagon wheel in, you know. <laughs> and the place exploded. It was like, it's like unbelievable. It's like everybody's singing wagon wheel. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like that, it depends on the room. And I, like earlier, you were saying, can you read an audience? I'm good at that. You know, I can tell. Uh, I can tell when I can. I know when you do it, like an oasis. Like if I had to do an oasis song, I know exactly what crowd wants that. Of course, I know the Irish tunes. I mean, it's like an Irish establishment. I can do that. You know, but uh, but you know, um, but yeah. And then uh, you know, uh, Ramones. I mean, I know, you kind of know. You know, yeah. I know because you know, I, I generally been pretty good with that. Like. Like, uh, it's like, an incredible catalog of songs. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing how many of those songs really hang with me as your your mind wanders through all the songs you've heard in your lifetime. There's a, there's quite a few Ken Queter songs that are in that playlist as thank as, you, yeah. as as well. It's uh, thank you. Uh, you've you've uh, really uh, over the years put together an impressive catalog of songs as a, you know just about any you know person who did get that major label deal. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel, has, that's yeah. why I'm proud of myself, and I'm like I don't cry to blues about it because you know. I think it's um you know I'm kind of like in one way I'm in, I'm out there playing all the time but at the same time I'm really obscure and, and not underground, hence I mean you know going in sideways to get gigs through some kind of shell game with the sandwich, because most people run these places are under forty they're general managers so they don't really know but at the same time so but I have all these songs, and I can pick and choose and put them out when I want to or to play them, at the same time I I'm kind of like a a joker at the same time and I'll do songs that I'm kind of playing a game on so I keep myself interested and then I'll generally general, gen, genuinely will do songs I absolutely love that are written by somebody else you know yeah. uh, you know with Bob Dylan of course or, or somebody like that and Billy Shide you know and the um, you know and then you know I get I'm all like different it's like different innings of a game or something you know and like uh, and, and I, I get a chance to do that. Not every show is a, a, a great night, but generally I, I have a pretty positive mental attitude. I did a show recently at a new place and um, I was pretty quiet, but there's like six people that I, that I don't really know that well came up. Maybe it was eight. And then they were just kind of poking me for like 
originals and this and then then I started telling stories. I'm a, I actually started I was just telling stories and it was like it was really like a nice night. It was like because because there's no like tonight when I play tonight, I'll be on campus, like there's 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 no set list, you know. And it, I kind of kind of know what I got to do, but then when I play with my buddy Mark, I'll play with him tonight. He knows way more songs than I know that 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 were written by other people. You know, I do like the Ken Queter persona, and the kids like they really dig it. Sometimes I, you know, wonder if they're just waiting for me just to croak right on stage. You know, like, I was there when he went down. You know, uh, <laughs> and then, I've been hearing those uh, forecasts for you know twenty five years. Me too. You know, I saw I, 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 I suddenly I got like this cramp in my shoulder. Sure, this might be the night. You know, so uh, <laughs> even I'm into that. So uh, I remember David Bowie once said, he said, "What would be the perfect ending of your life?" And he goes. Oh, that's easy to be assassinated on stage. So I'm along. I like that one too. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so, um, what was I talking about? Uh, is um, you know, well, I play with Mark, who we've been playing together for years, and he's great. Just guy is like, uh, he just knows all these songs, like the brand new songs. He's he listens to them. He'll be watching a football game. He's a real football guy. And uh, you go over there, like, I think I did one rehearsal with the guy. This is what it, this is what it was. We sat there and watched the game. Uh, which I don't even know who was playing, but he had like the, the the songs on that we needed to learn, and and he's just going, okay, that's a B like while they're scoring touchdowns, that's a B seven, that's a B minor, A minor, and, and then like if they're I guess, all right, rehearsal's over. Like that was, that was like, that was, it's like then we didn't even play our instruments, yeah, like yeah, it's like insane. But that's Mark. But he's like, but so we'll play tonight. We don't even know what we'll do. I mean, of course we'll do heroin, crackhead, manute, but we'll do a number of queeter songs, and then somebody will yell out. Somebody will yell out like Michael Jackson or something. That's what happened. And he'll do like, what album? Like he'll go, what album? They go, Thriller. So all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, I'm playing like fake guitar. Is that another song? And he's doing like three cuts off Thriller. Like they go, what about uh? Like they try like, can you do uh, you know, uh, Toto or something like? And I'm like, two Toto songs. I'm like, I'm like act. So, like, but the people are going berserk over like, 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 because he'll know that shit, you know. And then he'll do like brand new, you know, suit and tie by Justin Timberlake. I know that stuff now because I've been, you know, watched him play. But, but he'll deliver the shit like, like it's like he is Justin Timberlake, and it's like, you know, people like respond that after a few drinks, and then I go into my thing. And they're like, you go, they're not, they're going from like the bizarre to the normal. It's like channel normal, channel bizarre. It's a good, op it's a good opportunity to play. It's like two channels, you know. And sometimes people catch when I don't, they know I don't know what I'm doing. They go, Queen, what do you, you don't know the fuck? They think that, that in itself is a game winner. Like the guy doesn't even know what he's like. They obviously know, I don't know what he knows. You know, he doesn't really know. He kind of knows what I know. It's not. It's not Tom and Jimish. It's a little bit different. It's more sinister. Tom and Jim was never sinister. This is like. This is almost evil. You know, um, but uh, but it's cool. But we'll have we'll pack them in. They'll come in and you know people dive on stage. I mean, I've been injured. I, I had ribs broken. You know, um, up there because because of excitement that that we generate at the, the tail end. You know, but then sometimes, you know, um, there, there's rooms that we play. Sometimes we'll play certain rooms. And if you want to clear a room, if you really want to clear a room, you really want to clear like a room of really people having a great time, you know what well, you play? That's the tune, yeah. You play probably anything that is unbelievably great from Cream. 
which is, Chris Cream was unbelievable. Play anything that's almost superhuman from Jimi Hendrix. Like stand next to your fire, like really, like that'll clear a room. What did we clear the room with uh, last week with? Uh, uh, what the fuck? It was, uh, it was, it was Zeppelin's another one. If you do like a really, un, like, you know, Zeppelin's, I never even cared, as years went by, go, these guys were really good. Like there's, there's, there's some, we did, I don't even know the song, I left stage because it was like, it was like Mozart, like it's like, like a Mozartian piece. So I just left because I wasn't even going to perpetuate the fraud thing that I'm doing here. So it was a very, we needed, to, it was after two, so they needed to clear the room. But somebody, it was one guy requesting this really great song that's almost, it's incredibly athletic on the fingertips. And cleared the place out from, you know, there was like 75 people to like two people within seven <laughs> minutes. I forget what the Zeppelin song was, but it was like something that's, really ridiculously you know you know it it's in the it lives in the background of your mind but for some reason the the um the 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 folks like not all folks but generally the population like the younger generation really not interested in guitar solos at all Mm -hmm. it's really weird and that's been going on for a long time so because because like whether it's i've been really lucky to play with great players but it started like 12 years ago when like all of a sudden, people. As soon as you do a solo, they just they just walk away, yeah. you know. And like, unless it's like a, unless it's a, what do you call it? Like, if you, I don't do it, but like, if you were to do, uh, what's that song? Um, they always yell it out. It's, it's Freebird. Freebird. Like that's a great solo. It's unbelievable. But if you do that, it's all like they're appreciated ironically. Like there's nothing really ironic about. I mean, at one point in time when that song was written, that was the least thing on their mind. It was like really a great solo, but it got overplayed. But yeah. It, it, what really goes over well, like a lot of folks, is sing-alongs. Like you know, like my heroin songs sing. But if you were you do songs that may have, like you could do like the most unbelievable solo, and people like just you know order another beer or whatever. But if you do something that they can sing along to, I call it contemporary. I don't know if it's postmodern campfire music is what I do a lot of times. Yeah. I, I know what songs people can sing to. Because then they're participating in it's like I call it an audience participation solo, whatever yeah. that means. I know, but <laughs> but like, but if you if I were to do a big solo, it's like I'd lose them. But if you can get them engaged after a few drinks, in the beginning they're not getting nobody. Everybody's in the mating ritual, you know. That's number one, which you can't blame them, right? So, but if they have a few drinks, them they might want to hear something. Yeah, so, yeah. which gives me the license to just do choruses. I don't I don't even have to learn the whole song. Like Wagon Wheel, I. You know, do the chorus and maybe verse. You know, uh, you know, you can get away with that stuff. Yeah. Talking about people not hanging out for guitar solos. Something I've noticed in the, you know, over the years is the, the complete disappearance of instrumental music. There used to be instrumental hits that would climb yeah. the charts and be top five hits and stuff. I don't think there's been an instrumental hit on the pop charts in decades at this point. I think the um, what would the last one be? Yeah, there, yeah. The last thing I could think of is maybe Axel. Foley's theme from Beverly Hills Cop, I think, was a, like a semi-hit at the time. Yeah. But uh, now instrumental music has disappeared off the landscape. It's really, it's, like I say, it's, 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 I don't know. People don't, it's almost like, I'll tell you a funny thing I do a lot. I'll do like, I'll be on stage, I'll do this one thing in Manning, three-hour set, no breaks, right? Wow. It's brutal. Superhuman. It's, no, let me tell you, brutal, right? And uh, in fact, I quit the gig and then I I'm back now. <laughs> but anyway, I'm back. And like this, what I, this this goes to show you how like how little fucking people will pay attention to 
what a musician has to do to get decent, right? I will have already done two hours straight of something, right? And I don't fuck around. I'm up there, you know, I'm playing the shit like pretty good. And and then girls will come up to me and, and they'll go, like, like they're always leaning into me, like, and I'm like, I'm like all, I'm like, like 100 years old. Like the last thing I need, I think like when they lean, like they'll be like a football player, they're right on my shoulder, like, and I'm like ready. <laughs> but I got, I'm like, I'm Irish Catholic, I'm competitive, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that doesn't bother me. It's just killing me, right? So anyway, so, but they'll come up and they'll go, can you play, um, can you play uh, Blank Space by Taylor Swift? Like big hit, right? And it, like, it just comes out. Like, it, like they'll ask me like the week it comes out. I go, you know what? I, I said, that song just came out. I haven't had a chance. Like, like, as I'm explaining, I haven't had a chance to like learn it. They go, play it. They go, play it. I go, no, I haven't really had a chance to play that song. And, and, and then they go, you know, you can, they go, you can play it, right? They're like going to do hypnosis. You can play blank space. You know, so I go, no, I, I really, I don't know the chords. It's like, it's like jazz chords. She goes, come on, you can play it. Like, like constantly telling, I go, I go, I go, I gotta be honest with you. I've only been playing guitar for six months, right? Like figure, this is the red flag. Like there's a surrender, right? I've only been playing for six months, right? After two hours of like unbelievable, like renditions of tunes, she's going, you can play blank space. I go, no, I look, I've only been playing for six months. I only learned 45 songs in six months, right? I didn't learn blank space yet. And she's going, play blank space, right? <laughs> so that's like one of the things I go through all the time. Or I'll get the other thing, like all night long, somebody will be saying, can you play, you know, fucking, well, like it could be anything, like say wagon wheel, just for the sake of art. And we haven't brought that word up in a while. So can you play wagon wheel, right? So I said, I'll get it in a, in a song. Like, can you play it now? I go, I'm in the middle of a song. Girl, just put money in my tip jar. And like, they go, play it now. I go, look, I'll play it. Like as soon as I get to it, which is in about four and a half fucking minutes, right? So then they, as soon as I start playing wagon wheel, it's the guy who's introduced, like asked, who's on my case, all night, wagon wheel, wagon wheel. I'll say like, like all these people run up and start singing, and I see I'm like, where's the fucking guy? He's walking out the door. He's like leaving the building. Like, and this happens all the time. This isn't one time. There's like somebody fucking hounding you for. Can you play Toto by uh, play Africa by Toto? You know, and like I'll get right to. It. I'm gonna get to it. Like, and they go, I'm, like I fucking, I don't, I really can't play the fucking thing. But I'll give it a try, right? So then like, the thing is like, and then like the last thing. The last thing I want to do in my life is play fucking a Toto song, right? And as soon as I start to play like the the, the notes, I'm like, where the fuck is that guy? At? And I see he's outside having a cigarette. Like he's like, I'm like, what the fuck? But this is something that goes on all the time. So consequently, I have a sense of humor about it, though. But uh, but but I mean, these, these are just like like it's funny because people. But I love the thing when you say, I've only been playing for five months. I just did forty-five songs. You tell me somebody knows forty-five songs in six months, and they're like, but they're like, going, oh, that's not big. Anybody can play forty-five songs in two months, you know. But like, yeah, it's crazy. But, but I, I take it with a grain of salt. Some people don't have that sense of humor. I can name a bunch of guys in Philly that want to start striking people, you know. I I kind of get a kick out of it, you know, because I'm nuts, you know. Or what I do sometimes, I'll just like, well, I'm trying to learn a tune. And I know no. I'll be on some somehow. I'll get a booking on a gig, a gig, but I'll be outside on the pavement somewhere. Yeah. So like, they, like, like, because I'm, like, I'm like always trying to learn other people's tunes. I'll practice like a Kesha tune, you know Kesha. Yeah. Uh, and I'll do like timber. I'll do like I don't know it, right? 
But since the audience is changing every 25 seconds, I do it over. It's like practicing at home, except I'm getting paid to do Kesha over and over. And then I'll do like another Kesha song. And then I'll do like my song. And then I'll do Kesha. And nobody knows, except <laughs> the people sitting across the having tea at, at like Kildare's. They're going, didn't he just fucking play Kesha eight times, you know? They're like, fuck yeah, I did, you know? So, because I practice getting paid. That's another trick, you know? You practice what? I'll, get, I'll practice while I'm getting paid for a gig uh, yeah. that nobody's listening. You know, <laughs> so because I hate practicing by myself, you know, sometimes because it's painful. But when you got people walking by and you're like, you're doing like a song that's bizarre for you. I got like the doing catch with the heart. Like it's like a Woody Guthrie version of Timber, you know. Uh, and like, because I learned this, like I, I try to learn those pop songs with harmonica solos because they're like what the fuck is that you know and, and then with the drunker they get then they get into it but if they're sober like what the fuck is that like I'm I'm insulted it's someone with like harmonica to Kesha to as if like, like I'm holding up the pillars of western civilization you know I'm bringing them down you know have, have you learned uh, that Shake It song from course, uh, Taylor I, yeah, Swift yeah, already yeah. I know that like, I'm learning to rap in the middle hey 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 while you're out there busy hating on these people and that like and then my my ex man brought his girlfriend. I, I kind of I, I like to learn the raps in these things. Like in Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. Uh, Britney, before you leave, there's something that I want you to have. Oh, it's beautiful. But wait a minute, isn't this? Yes, but I thought the old lady dropped your last copy of the Beowulf at the bottom of the ocean. In the movie Titanic. <laughs> oh, baby, you shouldn't have. Like, you shouldn't have gone down there and gotten that book. Well, baby, I did. Uh, like I do, the, but I, of course I stick Beowulf in Titan. I stick all these things. You're like, what the fuck are the Spice Girls? You know, tell me what you want, what you really want. I, mean, I know all these things because it's so bizarre. You know, they're, they're outside my 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 universe, but it's fun to play with them, and then find out who their inspirations were. Like if you listen, if you look at Lady Gaga or Katy Perry, obviously grew up on Bowie, McCartney, and Billy Joel because the chord patterns are so similar. Yeah. So I mean, like, I kind of teach myself musical theory through these guys even though like it's, it's almost like an assignment learn so and so for next week i'm going wait a minute I, that chord pattern like um, uptown girl uptown girl da 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 those chords are the same as a bad romance oh, 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 oh. like bad romance and uptown girl are very similar tunes that same exact chord patterns and uh You'd have to listen closely, but I, you know, it's, it's hilarious because because I'll be doing Lady Gaga for fun if I'm trying to get people's attention. And I'll go right into Uptown Girl and I go back to the bad romance, you know. But 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 I do it. I have to amuse myself and enjoy it, you know. And and then also I'm learning. I'm learning a little bit, you know, a little music theory along the way, you know. If I could see myself like you see me, I'd throw myself all the land. There you go.
Like you still play a gig once a year or so at the, at the Tin Angel. Yeah, but yeah, but they, they always uh, to me that always feels like that's the the real showcase gig. That, that is, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, and I'll probably I think that once the movie uh, is completed, I'll probably probably do a couple nights there. I guess I'm assuming that the movie, the Ken Queter di- documentary, will be done probably in the summertime. You know. Yeah, let's get to that. What, what who who's putting that together? Um, there's a fellow named John Huddlemeyer, and his. Um, Partner uh, in film, in doing the film is Rob Nicolades, and both Rob and um, John have been following me around for five years. I was doing a gig up at Temple University, uh, which I was promptly fired from. But they came to a couple of gigs and they're going, "What? They couldn't really didn't know what to make of this guy, me." And, I, and but they could even, they, they had like film projects back then, and then. They started to, the more they got to know me and see me and follow me around and film me for their projects, which they were doing real well. They were getting, I was giving them interviews and all this. Um, they, 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 they graduate with honors and whatever in the film school. And uh, they continued to follow me around for other projects. I don't know, they just really dug what I did. You know, I don't know what exactly, all he knows is they did some really good shit, like really high-end queeter uh, vignettes, you know. So a couple years before, I go, you know what? You know, they're like 25 years old, and I go, we really want to like. They, they did like, um, what's it called? The old four, old 97s. Uh, yeah, yeah. They did stuff for them. They did a lot of indie paint. I saw what they did. I'm going, it's like MTV quality, but indies, you know. Mm-hmm. So they go, you know, you wouldn't mind if we ever did like a documentary. I'm going, no, I man. There's been a number of people tried, and then they ran out of money. And like, if you want to do it, I, you know, I'll be more than glad to cooperate. And, you know, I said, I, you know, it's your thing, but. I'm flattered you're going to do it. And that started about uh, two years ago, the discussion. And then a year ago, they got the money through Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. They raised 25 grand. And then um, 
the entire time they were shooting. And then the entire time I dug out boxes and boxes of videotapes and film of Ken Kuda from 1970. Wow. Up, yeah, there was film, uh, a little, little bit in the 70s, not much. And then you have the 80s and you have uh, some. And then towards the late 80s and the 90s, you got scads, like hundreds, of, like minimum 100, 200 hours of Ken Queter footage, you know. And then these guys have been following me for years. So they're really, so they, they took all that stuff I gave them on all these different formats from the 70s, 80s, 90s. And it's all like one format now. And they've been editing through that. At the same time, continuing to follow me and interview me and um, to edit in the process of all this stuff. So they did do one, I don't know if you saw the trailer for the movie. Did you see that yet? No, that's right. I put it on my Facebook. It's really good. And um, uh, so, I mean, they're still not done. They're still shooting and they're still interviewing people, you know. I put your name on there, your name. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people they didn't get to. Uh, and uh, hopefully they will. I mean, because they they... They got so much live footage, but they need more, more interviews, is what they say. So, uh, but they also have full-time jobs, and then one guy's getting married. So, so I told him, I said, you know what? Don't rush this thing. I know people are like, where's this fucking movie at? Don't rush it. Let the movie come to you, because you only get one chance to get it right. And you know, so just take your time and take your time with the interviews. So, so I think it'll be at like before thanks, thanks, probably the end of the summer, Thanksgiving, because I keep saying, take your time. Because people are like, oh, where's the movie? Like, but, you know, there's only like a skeleton crew. It's like you see a Martin Scorsese documentary. There's hundreds of people in there. These guys are doing the color correction together, audio correction. I don't really understand it all, but, but they haven't even gotten to that section yet. But they got a lot of stuff that uh, they have to do to do it right. But, you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, because I was looking at some of them, like, because they're following me around, moving the equipment and shit. Mm -hmm. I'm like looking at it and like, you know, I'm going, wow, man. I, like, like, like moving on the move, driving, picking shit up, putting it back, you know, <laughs> running around, like move. You know, a lot of gigs, I got to move tables out of the way so I can get where the ATM will eventually will be put years later, you know? <laughs> you know I, I, I'm pre preparing for it. You ever about the biological boot ladder of mankind that Elon Musk was talking about? No. You know, like, it looks like artificial intelligence is coming pretty soon. Singularity. And, and Elon Musk, the guy's like this stupid genius. He's going, oh, no, I can't believe it. He goes, I think it's true. I think Kurt Vonnegut was right. You know, one of his one of his books is like, the only reason the human race existed was to build this wrench that they had to send back, sent to Saturn, to uh, to help this robot that was stranded on Saturn. I forget what the what the uh, what the what the book was, but but it was like, wow, the human race only existed to build this wrench to to get to the level of sophistication to build the wrench that was going to be sent to Saturn to help this robot get his rocket ship to go back into outer space and then that was it you know that humorous but this guy elon musk says we're like he, he comes to the conclusion that we're a biological boot ladder or boat ladder i think boot, boot ladder of the next general the, the artificial intelligence i don't know how i got into that um oh <laughs> uh, you know oh yeah we're here to prepare for that just like i'm here to prepare for the atm machine i'm the boot ladder of the atm machine that's what that's what's going on you know like the human race don't exist here to build the robots that will eventually like get rid of them you know this is paperclip theory you know about the paperclip paperclip no, theory no. ah paperclip theory you know you know you know it's real quick it's like artificial intelligence that the first job it gets is like make make paperclips right and uh, like and like artificial intelligence robot is going to be the best paperclip maker in the world, right? So it starts making paperclips and then it's making more and more paperclips. 
And I realized, oh, I can get make paper clips in the most efficient way too. It's like the cruel efficiency of the robots, like C E R, right? And it's like, oh, that chair could be paper chip, paper clip, you know. And then it's like, it starts making paper clips out of everything. And it can't stop the fucking. Then it realizes my job, my my thing is to make paper clips. The only thing that could fuck up the paper clip thing is if a human pulls the plug, said so they kill the humans, and all that's left <laughs> on the planet is paper clips. So that's the paper clip theory. It's paper clip theory versus sandwich trick. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think we're going to have to wrap things okay, up. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I could go on and on, but it's great. Thank you, man. Oh, my God. It's, good. it's been great talking it's to you. It's fucking cool, yeah. man. Yeah, very it's, cool. It's cool. Suicide's going to meet me on a sunny day. Some people say September. It might be closer to May. No matter what you said before, no Suicide's gonna meet me on a sunny day Suicide's been a friend of mine from way, way back when When everything's got really bad like they do now and again She always, always shows up with her
One, two, three, four. That's it for the Fun to Know podcast. Thanks to Ken and the huge and open heart that he shared with us. You can find out more at kenqueter.com. You can find me live introducing the new documentary Tropicalia at 7 p.m. at the Princeton Public Library on Monday, February 23rd. You can check out my film writing at fawker.com. That's P-H-A-W-K-E-R.com. Or you can hear me spinning jazz on WPRB Princeton Mondays at 11 a.m. EST, both over the air and at WPRB.com. And I hope you return back for more Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.